If you would please turn in your Bibles <clears throat> to the book of Philippians in the third chapter. And if you'd stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Verse 1 through 10 of chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. Let's give ear to the reading of the Word of God. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. But I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, <clears throat> I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible... I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Pray for me as I preach. Pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bring to bear upon our hearts and minds the reality of the resurrection of Christ from the dead and the hope that that gives to us as your people. I do pray that you would be with me as I preach your word now this morning, be with the congregation as they hear it, and pray it would be profitable to us, our God. Father, take away our unbelief. Take away the hardness of our hearts. Take away our love for the world, and help us, Lord, to have the passion for Christ that we see the, the Apostle Paul had as he presents it to us in these verses. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Conviction of reality will influence the way that you think, the way that you live, the things that you do. For example, the conviction of the reality that gasoline is very volatile will convince you to be careful with it. Did you know that one cup of gasoline has the explosive power of one stick of dynamite? Uh, very volatile. And so you store it in the proper container, and you store it in the proper place, which is outside in the shed somewhere, not in your house. Or, again, the conviction that uh, hot grease can be very dangerous. Uh, children can get burned. You can get burned. So we have to be careful when we use any kind of grease that is hot because of the danger that can be associated with it. conviction. Well, the Apostle Paul was a man of great conviction. We read about that here in this text. And the conviction of the Apostle Paul was that Christ had indeed come that Christ had indeed kept the law for him, that Christ had indeed died for him, and that he had indeed risen from the dead. 
that Christ was alive. That was the conviction of the Apostle Paul. And what he does here in these verses is he thinks about his own resurrection from the dead, and that excites him. That gives him a great zeal for Christ and the gospel. And as we consider this this morning, we can see how this conviction that Paul had should be our conviction because we can reflect upon the reality of our own resurrection. If you don't do that, you should do that. You think about the day when you will come out of the grave alive forevermore. Because as we reflect upon that, it gives us energy and zeal for the sake of the gospel. So three things this morning. That the believer's conviction of the resurrection from the dead will help him to set priorities. The believer's conviction of the resurrection from the dead uh, will make him want to grow in knowledge of Christ. And the believer's conviction of the resurrection of the dead will encourage him to labor for the cause of the gospel. The first thing then, the believer's resurrection, uh, belief in the resurrection of the dead motivates him to set proper spiritual priorities. Worldly things can distract us very easily. The world is filled with delectable things that call to us, do they not? And we have the sense as they call to us that if we only had these things, then we could really truly be happy. Things such as happiness, things such as popularity, things such as security, uh, these things that the world has to offer to us. And these things can become really more first place in our life than Christ. And as believers, we are not exempt from this. If we only had this, if this was only this way, then we could really be more useful for the kingdom, we may even say to ourselves. We are not spared from putting too much stock in worldly things. And as believers, we have to remember this, that happiness, and that true happiness, comes from not the acquisition of things or acquiring things, not from worldly things at all, But true happiness comes through the teachings and the belief in the gospel and a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the clear teaching of Jesus. He said, uh, you know, don't pursue the things of the world where thieves can break in and steal, where moths can break in and ruin, where rust corrodes. Don't seek the things of the world, but rather put your treasures in heaven. The clear teaching of Jesus throughout the scriptures is taught, and it's illogical that, listen to this, it's illogical to love things. So much that are destined to perish. Things are going to ruin one day. Nothing is lasting in this life. Nothing is truly lasting. So happiness, true abiding happiness, comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul talked about possessing a treasure. He said, we hold this treasure in earthen vessels. The treasure, as you know, because I've said it to you before, is the gospel. We hold this treasure in earthen vessels. We hold the treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels. And the earthen vessels are our bodies which are wearing out. Joseph's birthday. I'm not going to tell you how old he is. But Joseph used to have hair. Full head of hair. I did too at one time. Aging process. And we wear out. It just happens. We can take care of ourselves, which we should. We can do things that we're supposed to do. But everything passes away. So we have this treasure, and we are renewed within day by day, afresh with the gospel of Christ as we reflect upon who he is and what great blessings we have in him. So the great things of the world, by comparison, Paul considered them as nothing. What's happening here at this point in the letter, there were people at Philippi that were teaching the necessity of circumcision. They were saying, uh, well, uh, it's okay, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised if you're going to be saved. 
And that makes Christianity become a works religion. And so what happens here, Paul says, well, uh, if anybody has a right to boast in the flesh, I do. I do. And he goes through these advantages that he had simply by being born into Israel. He was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. He was of the tribe of Israel, the commonwealth of Israel, the people of God, the elect of God, the chosen of God. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, he was uh, one who kept the law. He persecuted the church out of his zeal for his religion. All these things that he did, if anybody had a reason to boast in the flesh, Paul says, I do. And yet, as he looks at these things and as he pronounces these things to them, he says, basically, they are all worthless. And I consider them loss. So it, worthless is a thought that circumcision has any benefit in my life regarding salvation, said the Apostle Paul. Worthless is being of the stock of Israel. Worthless being from the tribe of Benjamin. Worthless, thinking I can keep the law on my own and have peace with God apart from Christ. What he's trying to do is to convince these people that are being influenced by these Judaizers, if we will call them, that the only way to have peace with God is through Christ. Nothing that we do, nothing that we can do. All the things that Paul points out, they have absolutely no significance in his life at all. Paul, prior to his conversion, and was involved in a works religion. Prior to his conversion, the things that he mentions here were valuable to him. Because prior to his conversion, the apostle Paul thought because he was from Israel, well, that made impression upon God. Because he was from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, where uh, the tribe that stayed with, uh, the, with Judah, the southern tribe, it made a difference to God. Because he was a Pharisee and his thinking, it made a difference to God. Because he kept the law and tried to be very religious, it made a difference to God. But then he comes to the conviction and the conclusion after coming to a knowledge of Christ that all these things mean nothing and in no way benefit him whatsoever as far as his salvation. His salvation rests alone upon his faith in Christ, the risen Savior. Now, we certainly can enjoy the things of the world. A nice soft bed, a glass of buttermilk. We can enjoy fine things of sunset or sunrise on the beach. It's fine to enjoy all of these things. And they were created by God, and they're good. And they're for us to enjoy. But nothing in our life, listen to this, no husband, no wife, no child, no job, nothing should ever be in competition with your affections for Christ. Nothing should ever take first place in your life except Christ. That's where the Apostle Paul is. Under these convictions and these strengths of, of convictions that he has drives him. Uh, to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and to live his life with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we should do as well. Knowing Christ by faith is the only possible way to have a right standing with God. Not church membership, not baptism, not doing good things. And it's good to do good things. But they in no way open the doors of glory for you any wider. 
Christ has done that. As a matter of fact, those things don't open the door of heaven at all for you. It's all about what Christ has done for us. Well, the second thing is that our conviction of the resurrection of the dead makes us want to grow in the knowledge of Christ. It's just what the Apostle Paul says here, that he may grow in knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, he says. Well, this desire that he has is not just a head knowledge. Head knowledge is important. We need to know what we believe. That's one of the great, one of the great benefits of the Presbyterian Church, the creeds that we have. Um, when I was in Muscle Shoals, that is a heavy area for the Church of Christ. They have this motto, no creed but Christ. But then you can ask them, well, what do you believe exactly about Christ? Well, that's expressed in our creeds, the confession of faith, the catechisms. Uh, those things are expressed to what we believe, and they are part of the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America. So head knowledge is important. It's important to study. It's important to learn. It's important to be in the Word of God. Uh, but if we are learning simply for the sake of learning, it does us no good. As a matter of fact, it can be counterproductive. The demons believe the gospel. The demons are better theologians than we. They have a fuller revelation than we do. James says in James chapter 2, verse 19, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So bare intellectual facts really are counterproductive to sanctification. The desire that Paul has is to know Christ experientially. To have a deeper, fuller relationship with him tomorrow than he did today. And he gives himself to that, to learning more of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, this man was one who persecuted the church. This man was one who thought that he had salvation by things that he did. This man was one who was standing, watching the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen to death. Came finally to meet Christ and realized that he was completely helpless before God to be right with God by anything he could possibly do. And he comes to this, and now he has this great joy in the resurrected Christ and great joy in knowing that heaven is his and looking forward to and anticipating his own resurrection from the dead. So this man, the Apostle Paul, wants to know more and more and more of Christ in his life. He wants to know more of his nature, that Christ is fully God and fully man. Uh, meditate on the depths of that, uh, that Christ is eternal. And at a point in time, he took flesh upon himself, we read in the Scriptures. Paul would know more of his essence. Let's plumb the nature of the greatness of Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul would do, know more of his nature. He would also know more of his character. If a man would know what God is like, look at Christ. You remember in John chapter 14, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said, Philip, you've been with me all this time, and you say, show us the Father. Don't you know that I and the Father are one? Don't you know if you've seen me, you know what he's like? That I am the exact copy, the exact image of the Father. And so he would know more of his character because to know more of Christ is to know more of God. He would know more of his work, that great accomplished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. It says in the scriptures, the angels desire to look into that redemption that he accomplished on the cross. They long to study it. Why? Because it speaks of God's glory. It speaks of God's power. It speaks of God's great love for his people. If you want to see love, 
unadulterated love, you look at the cross of Calvary. God so loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son, his unique son, to die. He had never done anything wrong. He never sinned. And yet he went to the cross of Calvary. Paul would know more of that, no more of the great work of Christ, no more of the salvation that he had through the Lord Jesus Christ. And an experiential increase of knowledge in Jesus should bring sanctifying changes in the life of the Christian. As it brought sanctifying changes in the life of the Apostle Paul, the more that we learn about Christ, the more that we know of Jesus, it should affect us in a positive way spiritually. In the Reformed Church, I think that we are notoriously bad about being arrogant, intellectual pride. And you think about uh, the Reformed Church's rich heritage of great thinkers. The Church Fathers, Tertullian, Cyprian, Augustine of Hippo. You have uh, the Reformers, John Huss, John Calvin, Martin Luther. They give us these rich works they left behind for us. you got the Southern Presbyterians, Robert L. Dabney and James Henry Thornwell. A great wealth of information, a great wealth of knowledge. But unless these things that we read and that we study cause us to grow in admiration of God, cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, then it is worthless and really counterproductive to us. Of all the various theologies, persuasions of the world, of all the different ways of thinking about theology in the world, of all the different, different mindsets as it comes to studying the Scriptures, of all of them, Reformed thinking should, of all things, cause humility. Because as we understand that our salvation is all of grace, it's a gift of God. Our understanding of theology is all of grace, a gift from God. Uh, it is that our knowledge of the Bible is all of grace, a gift from God. Read in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, the Apostle Paul says this, What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You're sitting here this morning at this worship service. Because of God's grace to you. Because of God's kindness to you. And if we really grasp and hold on to the reality of the resurrection of Christ, our fear of death will be completely taken away. As we grasp the power of the resurrection of the Savior, which Paul talks about that. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Completely removing from us any dread whatsoever of approaching death. True knowledge of Christ held properly should breed humility. A true knowledge of Christ held properly should breed humility in the life of the Christian. Humility is a natural and logical outwork of a proper understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for you in your desperate need of him in your life. Humility is the outworking. A true knowledge of Christ should also be uh, increase our love for Jesus. The more that we understand his goodness, the more that we understand his love, the more that we understand his grace, it should swell our hearts with deep affection for Christ. You know, we, we, we tend to let these things just slip by rather than really meditating on them, rather than really thinking about it. And you read a text like this, you see the passion this man had, the conviction that he had. We can have that same conviction. It's the same Savior. 
And Paul is just a man, a sinner like we are, yet full of faith, full of trust, and full of love for the Lord Jesus. And again, an increase of knowledge in Christ should also breed, bring with it an increase of love for the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And it should encourage us in obedience. You struggle. We all struggle with sin. If you tell me you don't, you're lying to yourself and to me. We all have our struggles. We deal with things. Some people have the anger problems. Some people have lust problems. Some people love money way too much. Some people are warriors, not trusting God as they should. We all have things that we deal with. But as we have an increase of understanding and knowledge of Christ, an experiential knowledge of Christ, a deepening relationship with Christ, it should encourage us to humility, to love, and to obedience. The last thing is that the um, uh, the, the uh, believer's conviction and reality of his own resurrection should encourage us to labor for the cause of the gospel. Paul mentions uh, four things here in these last few verses. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, and again, that I may know him, that I may experience him, that I would be with him in the morning when I wake up because he's with me. I would be with him in the afternoon when I'm working because he's with me. And I would be with him, I would know him in the evening because he is with me. And I would delight in it. This day sets in time and space the resurrection. Jesus was not raised at this time. Maybe he was, I don't know. What's today? April 4th. My son's birthday. But the reality is he did come out of that grave. He was dead. He was held under the power of death for a time, and he was resurrected. And Paul says, I want to know him. And not only that, but also the power of his resurrection. Think about what the resurrection of Christ did. It declared an end of death. It declared an end of condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It affected the entire cosmos. At the right hand of God, we read in the scriptures that Christ rules over all things now and upholds all things by the word of his power. A couple of weeks ago, we noticed that creation was done, made for him, made by him and for him. He wasn't just a man. He was God. Let that sink in. He was the exact representation of the Father. He was God and is God today. I was reading the scriptures in the catechism. One person in two natures and that forever. The power of the resurrection of Christ. Defeating sin, defeating death. Second thing he says, he wants to share in his sufferings. Does anybody want to do that? Share in the sufferings of Christ. 
We should delight in it. We really should. Uh, Paul, as he talks about this, uh, has been through quite an experience. We read about it in 2 Corinthians 11 where he says that uh, three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Uh, danger in rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea. Uh, dangers from false brothers and toil and hardship through many and sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold exposure and apart from other things, have the daily pressure of me only my care for the churches. That's suffering for the cause of the gospel. The only reason Paul had to go through these things is because of his commitment to Christ. He was a Pharisee. He was a prominent Jew. Prominent man in Israel. Very powerful individual. And he gives all that up to be beaten because he believes the gospel. He gives all that up to be stoned to death, practically, because he believes the gospel. To share in his sufferings, he says here in the text. And then becoming like him in his death. That means... Dead to sin. That means alive in Christ. That means that Paul had courage and hope because he has put to death through Christ the deeds of the flesh. And the last thing he says that somehow in some way I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, we do not believe, and the Apostle Paul would not say or teach, that you merit the resurrection. We don't merit salvation. It's ours by God's grace. We don't merit the resurrection either. It's by the working power of Christ that it happens. But what Paul is saying here, he's working as if it does depend upon him. That that reality of coming back from the dead, being raised to life again, gives him so much zeal and so much energy and so much passion for the gospel that he's working, doing all he possibly can do. He says, in order that I can attain the resurrection, that I may do that. I'm working as if it depends upon me. And yet, what energy and passion that gave to the Apostle Paul has reflected upon his own resurrection from the dead. I used to work on a seismograph crew. I was on the brush crew. What we did, try to follow the path of least resistance. We had a machete, and we would go through places where there was so thick brush, you'd have to cut it, chop it away with a machete. I didn't like that job very much. There were snakes. Uh, there were stinging insects. A friend of mine was standing close to me, and he fell through a hole. I mean, it just kind of ground opened up underneath him. He fell about four feet. Well, I mean, we were in the middle of swamps. So we would try to find the path of least resistance where they would take those cables and lay them out to do the seismic measurements, looking for oil. As believers, sometimes we seem to want to take the path of least resistance. We want to claim the promises of God, but not a thought is given to the demands of the gospel. Paul gave thought to the demands of the gospel. And the demands of the gospel uh, gave him zeal or thinking about the resurrection, gave him zeal to meet the demands of the gospel and be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. We still die, but we have the reality of heaven. 
The Bible teaches us very clearly that when we die, we go to be with Christ. Jesus said today, you should be with me in paradise. Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. But the final exclamation point of redemption is our resurrection. The final exclamation point of the completed work of Christ is going to be the resurrection of the dead, which takes place at the last day. Do you believe that? If you believe that, if you really believe that, that is going to make all the difference in the world, the way you view life, the things that are important to you, and the courage you have for the cause of Christ. The best place that I know of to read something about it is in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. He says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. In other words, when Christ comes back, there will be some alive. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Are you trusting Christ this morning? If you're not, I would encourage you to embrace him, to come to him. But if you're trusting Christ this morning, this is your future. What's written here, this is your future. Let's pray.